June 2nd, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Ayin Bet Amudalef. And if you count from the bottom of the page up, it's 14 lines up. It's the second word on the line. Very briefly, but importantly, the context of the Gemara. The Mishnah has mentioned for us, and then the Gemara began to explain this halacha, which is mentioned in Parashat Mishpatim. It's the halacha of self-defense for all intents and purposes. If a robber is found, literal in the text it's in the, of the Torah, it says, if he's found underground. What we understood from the Mishnah, what we were gleaning from the Gemara is, the robber is found in a situation in which our assumption could and should be that since he knows he's going to be confronted by you as the homeowner, he in turn will pull the trigger on you first. As a result, the Torah says, in such a circumstance, in lodamim, you're allowed to kill him. That's first and foremost. That's the halakha of Hababa Mahteret. However, the Torah continues and it says, There are circumstances in which damim lo, in which a person, the homeowner, is not allowed to defend himself to the extent that he takes the life of the, uh, of the intruder. What sort of situation is that? We haven't seen that in the Gemara yet, but it was necessary already to explain it to you. Rashi already started to allude to it in the Mishnah. We'll see it at the bottom of the page here, going into Amud Bet. It's a circumstance of, objectively speaking, the Gemara says, when a father is barging into the home of a child. Even though he's stealing, we do not and should not assume that if confronted, he'll pull the trigger on his son, and as a result, the son is not allowed to pull the trigger on him first. So those are the two circumstances we're dealing with. Again, in lo damim, we'll call that the majority of circumstances, where there's an intruder who plans on stealing, but the knowledge of the intruder is that he'll be confronted by the homeowner. In turn, he'll kill the homeowner. The homeowner, therefore, is allowed to kill him. What's that? need not be dark, even though the Torah seems to say it as the difference between light and darkness, the majority of the Mefarshim, based on our Gemara coming up ahead, uh, explain that that's not to be taken literally. Famously, Ra'avad, I mentioned it to Charles Shehebar yesterday, Ra'avad in his glasses to Harambam takes it literally, which is interesting to say the least. There are several other mefarshim, but it's not the standard approach. It's generally speaking, we assume, and al-pi halakha, you go that whether it's dark or light. Now, darkness and light might portray to us the mindset of the intruder, but it's not a necessary component. What do I mean by it describes us the mindset? If they're entering during the daytime, they might assume that you're not home because you're at work. As a result, they're not prepared to kill. You might distinguish, but need not be the case. If you look on your camera and he's, and he's brandishing a, a fresh rifle, you're well aware that he's prepared to kill you in such a circumstance. <laughs> Alternatively, as Jared said yesterday, if you look on your camera at night and he's holding his Nerf gun, so you know as well, even though it's nighttime, even though he's not your father, he's not prepared to kill you. So all those would need to be taken into account and are supposed to be taken into account. We're trying to give as quote-unquote simplistic, objectified circumstances when we talk about father entering the son's household and so forth. Now, that all being the case, the Mishnah makes clear for us a step further, that which the Torah did not deliberate and determine and explain to us. And that is, if it's a circumstance of en lo damim, what I call the majority, the standard situation, if, if the intruder in turn breaks something while in the home, 
or even while exiting the home, we explained based on Tosafot yesterday, the halakha is he doesn't need to pay. Why doesn't he need to pay? It's a principle in halakha known as kamle bidarabamine, which means to say you get the more severe of punishments. I'm liable to death penalty. It might be that I haven't been killed, but I'm liable to being killed. In other words, I'm hayav mita, I'm quote-unquote on death row in the moment as I'm in this person's home to the extent that he's allowed to kill me. Maybe he's even, as I mentioned yesterday, supposed to kill me. The halakha in such a circumstances, I don't need to pay. Irrespective of whether I end up getting killed, it's the derasha from Masechet Kitubot we mentioned yesterday, that even if there's no hatra'a and you're not going to be killed, you're not liable for paying. That's if in lo damim. What if yesh lo damim? What if it's a circumstance where the father enters into the son's household? Deranged father, no doubt. But to the extent that he's going to kill his son, certainly not is our assumption unless we know his intent specifically. Well, that situation, if he were to break anything in the house, he shatters the uh, glass of the window, he breaks the picture frame, he knocks down the TV as he's entering, he is liable. Why is he liable to pay? He was, in da- he was not in danger. That son cannot legally kill him in that moment, and as a result, he's not exempt from the payment because, so to speak, he had death penalty. He doesn't have death penalty. That's what we saw in the Mishnah, uh, which follows the Pasuk in the Torah. Third stage, and we're coming to a conclusion on this, is the mahloka between Rava and Rav. And that is, well, we accept that if En Lo Damim, the uh, intruder breaks something, he's exempt. That's what our Mishnah told us. What if he walks out with items? What if, and we said this after the class, what if he walks into, I don't know, the museum and walks out, or the art gallery, with the uh, Mona Lisa? Now, as he intruded in the middle of the night, assuming it's not per se the circumstance, I don't know protocol of the police, certainly not today, that they're allowed to shoot him in such a circumstance, even if he has a gun, he's ready, and so on and so forth. Assuming that is the case, he's ready, he's prepared, you see the gun on him, he's prepared to shoot. We know him, he's a terrorist, he's a known robber who's killed people in the past. We're certain that he's going to kill if confronted. But he makes his way out, unscathed, and he's holding the Mona Lisa. He now is proudly displaying it in his home and inviting guests to come and look at it. And his claim, because he's living in a Torah country, is, well, this is mine now. It's yours. Do you know that I endangered my life entering into that museum? Do you know that they were allowed to pull the trigger on me? Kaninhu bidamim is the statement of Rav. Rav says the halakha in such a circumstance is, I bought it, he bought it with his blood, but he didn't shed any blood. But the threat of losing his blood in that moment, that gave him a full-fledged kinyan on it to the extent that we're not going to take it out of his home. Forget about breaking it. He can natal. If he takes the keli, he doesn't need to return it. Whereas Rava disagreed. Rava said, wait a second. I understand to the extent that if you broke something, you're not liable. But you walked out with it? We'll liken that, and we said if you learn Bava Metziah, you'll fully understand this, to a sho'il, to a borrower. That's what we call kol ashelo. We say in such a circumstance, he gets all the benefit. It's kind of his, but it's not his. But in such a circumstance, he's liable to giving it back. There's no question. That's the mahluk between Rav and Rava. Again, it's the third stage of Hababa Mahterit. Number one, Death penalty is pronounced upon the guy who's intruding in the general case. Number two, as a result, if he breaks something, everyone agrees he's not liable. The question is, if he doesn't break it, but he walks out with it, does he need to return it or not? Says the Gemara here now, 14 lines from the bottom, two words onto the line, Tenan, the Mishnah. 
Let's read the words in our Mishnah. Baba Mahteret, Vishberet Havit. That's what we've been referring to. He's entering into or exiting the Mahteret, literally the underground, but it means the surreptitious, the sneaky entrance into the person's home. Yesh lo damim. If it's, what's our example for this? The father entering the son's home. Hayav, he needs to pay for the breaking. In the in lo damim. If it's anyone else, for argument's sake, What's the halakha in such a circumstance? Patur, he doesn't need to pay. Wait a second, says the Gemara. The Mishnah, as always, we assume, particular in its wording. Why did the Mishnah talk about he broke something upon his entrance? Why didn't the Mishnah say, and he walked out with something? Why didn't the Mishnah describe the Mona Lisa circumstance? I don't know, it's a lot more exciting. If, what's that? So, uh, so, so Nathan says maybe the only reason he's exempt is because there's no intentionality. It's an interesting claim, and you may be giving the argument for Rava, but ultimately speaking, irrespective of the rash, the reason you're suggesting, that's a question on Rav. Rav said, even when it is intentional, the guy's walking out with the TV, he's holding the Mona Lisa, clearly that was his intention, says Rav, he's still exempt. So you're giving a logic for Rava who disagrees. How's Rav going to explain the Mishnah? The Mishnah only talks about Shibir. And by the way, Shibir sounds a little bit intentional because Shavar would be a little less. The difference between Pi'el and Pa'al is something that's forceful and something that's less forceful, although it might be he shattered the window upon entering. But the point is, Ultimately speaking, this is a proof against Rav. I'm sorry for the Dikduk lesson. And this is a proof against Rav. Rav, why does the Mishnah talk about Shiber? Ta'amad the Shiber. The reasoning, the reason why this robber, this intruder is exempt, this patur from paying is because he broke. Excuse me. If he were to take it, like lift it up. means to lift up. Lo, in such a circumstance, the assumption is he'd be hayav. Rav, how do you explain that? Answers the Gemara for Rav. Well, there were two factors discussed in the Mishnah. You're only focusing on one of them. You're focusing on the case, the standard case, the 99% of the cases, when the guy who's entering into the home or whatever circumstance it is, we assume is going to kill, and as a result, we pronounce him in lo damim. What about the father? What about the father's situation? Would you argue in the father's situation, pause for a second and understand, he broke, now we're gonna work with Nathan's rationale, he broke, and let's assume, without intention, let's assume it was part of what happened as he's in the home. In such a circumstance, maybe I'd say about the father who did it without intention, maybe he should be patur, maybe that's why the Mishnah says shiber, you understand? In other words, I'm talking about two cases. I'm talking about the case of any person, I'm talking about the father, but I want to describe one circumstance, one context. So I have a choice. I'm going to use the context that's more of a hidush for the any person, or I'm going to mention the context which is more of a hidush for the father. Says the Gemara for Rab, maybe it's for the father case, to tell you that you would have thought that in Shiber, in a circumstance by the father, if he broke, let's call it without intention, he should be patur, ultimately speaking, he didn't do it on purpose. That's the hidush of the Mishnah. Shiberet havit. if he's the father, if it's yesh lo damim, he's hayat, says the Gemara, no. Maybe we can make the claim that even if the person were to take the item, the Mona Lisa situation, the TV, brings it, he's putting it in his home, and you walk in and you find it, and why does the Mishnah then mention specifically the havit, which is being broken, the barrel which is being shattered, kamash 
משמעלן לחידוש של המשנה אז, לנובלטי אז, דחייש לו דמים אף על גב דשיבר נמי חייו, even though he broke it, he still חייו, the father entering into the son's home, unintentionally breaking. says the Gemara פשיטה, that's a חידוש. It's a father entering into the home. Did he pay with his blood, quote unquote? Certainly not. If the son were to put a bullet in his father's head, the son is liable for death penalty. He's not allowed to kill him. So why would you have thought that the father, in turn, is allowed to break? He's damaging. If I damage your property, I'm liable. It's not a hidush of our Mishnah. That's a well-known halacha. We have a whole seder, seder mishnayot in Gemarot called Seder Nezikin. Hakamashma'lan. The chidush is da afilu shelo bekavana. The chidush is that if the father broke even without intention, exactly Nathan's point from earlier, maybe over there I'd say he's patur. The chidush of the mishnah is he's hayav. Says the Gemara. That's a chidush. My kamashma'lan. What's the chidush with regards to that? When it comes to damages, our principle, based on a well-known mishnah, Masech Baba Kama, is my kamashma'lan. Adamu ad le'olam. Is that your chidush? Adamu ad le'olam. That's what you want to tell me. Muad. We distinguish with regards to, to shivarim, with regards to oxen, between what's called muad and tam. And the basic distinction is the word muad. Milashon muad means it's, there's an encounter. This is something that happens often. Adam mu'ad le'olam means we don't look at an action with regards to damage by a human being as accidental and therefore exempting them. I don't think this would be the same thing per se. Maybe it would be actually. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, this is decent. You're out in the street and someone swipes your car and as a result is $1,000 because the side of your car has a huge scratch. So they say, but I didn't do it purposefully. I don't care if you did it purposefully. No, you don't understand. I was distracted in the moment. It was the last thing I wanted to do. He said, oh, who cares? And that's the, that's the halakha of Adam Mu'ad Le'olam, the concept being under all circumstances. I'm not certain if in American law we distinguish another situation. I don't know exactly. But ultimately speaking, the halakha with regards to, with, with halakha with regards to damages in Torah is Adam Mu'ad Le'olam. That being the case, you still don't have a hidush. Our Mishnah is telling you the father enters into the home and he accidentally broke. You would have thought he's not Hayav. Why would you have thought he's not Hayav? Tanina, we have a Mishnah which says explicitly, Adamu Ad Le'olam, Ben Meshogeg, Ben Mezid, Ben Be'onis, Ben Berason, irrespective of the mindset, whether it's purposeful, accidental, without any intention, it doesn't matter. The guy is Hayav, says the Gemara Kashya. In fact, this ultimately speaking means that our Mishnah poses a problem, a question for Rav. Rav's opinion was, if you walked out with the item intact, you still don't have to return it. We now presented not an ironclad, full-fledged proof against him, a diuk from the Mishnah. Why does the Mishnah talk about Shiber and not Natal? It appears to run against you, Rav. There is a Masoret from the Geonim, that when the Gemara says Kashya and doesn't say Teku or Tiyuvta, that they had an answer, Hachmeha Talmud, and they just didn't love the answer, so they didn't place it in. But that's the word Kashya in this circumstance. Says the Gemara, Mativ Rav Bebai Bar Abaye. We have one last stage in this conversation, and then we move on. Says the Gemara, there was a question from Rav Bebai Bar Abaye to Rava, who's our Rava opinion? Rava's opinion is maybe the one that settled better with each of us, and that was if you walked out with the item in En Lo Damim, you ran, Lo Aleinu, the person runs into someone else's house, is ready to rob, and does rob, walks out with the item intact, and then you confront him and say, Can I have that back? 
That's absolutely not. You bring them to court and say, absolutely not. I paid for it with my blood. Says Rava, I'm sorry. If you broke it, you won't have to return it. If you're holding on to it, you need to give it back. Says the Gemara, Rabbi has a question from a Beraita, uh, which goes as follows. Hagonev kis b'Shabbat. I steal a wallet. I steal a purse, a pocketbook on Shabbat. A terrible thing to do. You shouldn't be stealing. You shouldn't be stealing on Shabbat. But in such a circumstance, you understand, I had to enter into your, your home, your domain, what we call Rashut HaYachid. And the assumption is I then exit into, if you don't have an Eruv and you're dealing with a Rashut HaRabim situation, into a public thoroughfare called Rashut HaRabim. Now, carrying from Rashut HaYachid, the private domain, into a public domain is an absolute Isur on Shabbat. Hayuv Sekila. It's one of the, it's one of the Melachot. It's Hotza'a. Well, that being the case, in this situation, our the description is not only did the fellow steal, but the fellow afterwards committed an Isur on Shabbat. Now let's pause for a second and analyze based on our new understanding, our old understanding of this concept of that you get the higher of the two penalties. So the classic example I gave you for the higher of the two penalties is, well, there's that shootout and ultimately speaking, one guy beats the other and shoots him. The guy is, is dead and is brought to court and as he's understanding that now he's gonna be liable to death, uh, the family members of the deceased one say, but wait a second, our father, our husband, our brother was wearing a $10,000 beautiful suit, a $20,000 suit, we'd like you to pay the value of the suit or at the very least the dry cleaning bills. This is what are you talking about? I'm liable for death penalty. That's He is exempt in such a circumstance. There's a derasha for that. The Gemara will tell us about it later on. The Gemara talks about it in Masechi Kitubot. But this circumstance is different because over here, the assumption is it's separate. I stole the item while in your home. The second I picked up the item, it's what's called the Kinyan Hatser. By placing it in my hand, it's now in my possession. That being the case, I stole, I'm now liable to pay. I walked outside and I walked from one domain into the next domain, separate action, they're disconnected. All right, that's what we need to understand thus far. Hagonev kis b'Shabbat, hayat. In such a circumstance, I have to return the money, the purse, the pocketbook, the uh, wallet that I stole. In the other guy's house. It's called the Kinyan Yad, the Kinyan Hatser. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, yeah, yeah, because the only Isur on Shabbat that you're per se, leave Mukseh aside, it's the Hotza'ah, which only happens afterwards. Shaharen nithayev begeneva, your hayuv, your liability for stealing and in turn returning is kodem shiavolide Isur Shabbat, is before you had the violation of Shabbat. What about, alternatively, says the Beraita, hayam megarer v'yoseh. I'm taking a, a big item, or I'm taking a big uh, purse. I'm taking a safe out of the person's house. And here I am dragging it. Now that's important. I'm dragging it. I never lifted it in the person's home. I never lifted it in the person's home. I'm dragging it out. And then, and we're going to go, Rashi goes with the but opinion. It can't be hot five. It only can be dragged, and that's the only way you, you can do could do it. 100%. You're going to do a hagbaha. I'm sorry, I talked about a heavy safe. All right, whatever, you're safe, and it's easiest to pull it like that, but hang on, hang on to the punchline over here. According to the two, besides being separate, 
One's towards a person and the other is towards Hashem. We will see a mahlok, there'll be such a mahlok about whether that matters. What about if it's to two separate people and so forth? Our assumption for now is, and, and it's a good assumption, is mahlok, it is that we won't distinguish. But understood. In other words, Nathan says, I, I was, I mean, the Beraita is telling us because one comes before the other. He said, but wait a second, it's not because one comes before the other, it's because I'm liable to God and to a human being, the money to a human being, God, the Hayyuv Shabbat. Clearly, the Beraita is not distinguishing. It says, if you're liable, we look at you as opposed to who you're paying or, or, or get, you know, getting paid back for. Anyway, that being the case, it goes as follows. So I'm dragging it out, and we're going to go with Rav Asher, his opinion, Masechi Kitubot and Daflamid Aleph. That's how Rashi explains this Gemara. And as I get close to the public area, I'm exiting the person's house. I'm getting out of his courtyard. I tilt over the item into my hands. Uh, so let's say it was heavy, but not heavy enough that I can't now be holding it. And as I'm holding it, I'm holding it within, call it three tefahim of the ground. It means to say my hand is close enough to the ground to be considered standing, quote unquote, in Rishut Rabim. Anything that's within three fists of the ground or of anything else, we consider it connected. So here it is. I carried, here's my safe, this cup. I won't tilt it. It's got coffee in it. And then I tilt it over over here into my hand. Now, as it tilts into my my hand, which keep in mind, my hand in this airspace is Rashut Rabim, but I am no longer in the person's home. I'm making the kinyan on the item because I was only dragging until now. At the same moment that I removed it from or moved it from Rashut Yahid into Rashut Rabim, that took place at once. So again, so here, here we have Hayam Megarer Viose Patur. Such a circumstance, of course, I'm Hayav Mita. Patur means I don't need to pay the guy. Shahare isur Period. Okay. In such a circumstance, they both come together. I mean, so far, so good. What's it got to do with us? Says the Gemara. Well, let's think about this according to the opinion of Rav for a moment. Rav told us that the halacha is that if I walk out with the Mona Lisa, I don't need to return it. Fantastic. This is a beautiful proof for him. What does the Beraita say? I'm patur. What does patur mean? I don't need to return it. You didn't destroy the item, did you? You're holding on to the safe, aren't you? That's the whole case. Rav says, or says the Gemara, we have a proof for Rav. We're knocking out Rava. The disturbing opinion of Rava is effectively knocked out over here. How's he going to defend himself? I have an explicit Beraita which says, even when the item, it appears, is fully intact, I still don't need to pay. I still don't need to give it back. How do you explain that? Answers the Gemara, all right. I don't know, the guy is off the wall, but the Gemara says, there's no reason not to make the following claim, that after he pulls the safe into his hand, and now you come to claim it from him, he says to you, I threw it into the river. Why'd you throw it into the river? I don't know, I just wanted to steal from you. But that has to be the case. Says the Gemara, for Rava will make the claim that the item is not intact. And that's why you're patur. If the item was intact, you'd have to give it back. You understand yourself. Difficult sell over here, that that's actually what we're talking about in that Beraita. But that's Rava's defense. It means Rav, we had a question which ended with Kashya. Rava gave us an ukimta. We're not all that, dare I say it, excited about it. It's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, the Gemara does 
doesn't resolve this issue again of Natal when the robber comes out with an item that's intact whether he needs to return it however fascinatingly I always love this last line in this Gemara I, I, I mean it always I think I learned this uh, one of the early Gemara I think I learned this when I was 14 years old and I loved this at the time we no longer teach this Gemara in the school we teach from after this Gemara it's a difficult Gemara if you haven't been able to notice that as a result we, we skip it and for good reason but uh, you know, once learned it and as a result it was exciting for me it says the Gemara Rava ignavu le dichre b'machtarta. Rava had rams, dichre, uh, stolen from him when he was uh, from his possession, from the machteret in a, a sneaky fashion. All right, it's a real life case. So they, they're rams that are stolen by from Abaye. Let's rephrase Rams. From Rava, excuse me. From Rava. So Rava is our rabbi who told us in such a circumstance, you must return, right? That was Rava's opinion. You must return if the item is still intact. So these Rams are still alive. Replace the word Rams if you must, based on this class. Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa was stolen from Rava's home. And says the Gemara, Ahadrinu Nihale. The robbers knock on the door of Rava, they realize their wrongful activity. I imagine they're Jewish if they're interested in giving it back based on, uh, I don't know, based on my understanding. Maybe they're not, but it, it appears clear because we're dealing with the regular halachot with regards to them. They knock on his door or they're caught, whatever the situation is, and they want to return those items to Rava. Now, according to Rava's opinion, he should, he should, he should accept them. You owe me that. Velakablinu. Rava would not accept the rams. Amar, he said, Ho'il v'nafak mipumet derav, period. Since the words came out of the mouth of Rav, since Rav's opinion, who precedes me, says Rava, who is more authoritative than me, comes from an earlier generation, from the earliest of Gemara generation, says Rava, I'm going to veer on the side of Rav, and as a result, will not accept these items because you don't owe them to me. But we want to give them to you. The only reason, explains Tosafot, you want to give them to me is because you think you must give them to me. As a result, if you were to understand that according to Rava, you need not give them to me, you wouldn't want to be giving them to me, I'm effectively stealing from you now. Now, Rava himself maintains differently. I'll go a step further. We follow Rava. We say Rava is Batraez from last generation of Gemara. But Rava himself. He deferred to the, isn't that an amazing thing? He deferred to Rav. Now Tosafot points out that even if they were patur from giving it back to him, the Hayab B'dinei Shemaim, the Gemara Masech Bava Metziah, makes clear that in terms of your relationship with God, forget about court in this world, you're supposed to give it back, even when you don't need to quote-unquote give it back, says Tosafot. But Rava understood about them, they're only giving it back because they think they need to give it back, according to his opinion. He says, but if Rav maintained differently, I'm not going to accept. It's an amazing thing. That's right. He deferred to him with his own money. So when Rob says right? With his own money. So when Rob says he doesn't have to give the item back, are we now saying that he doesn't have to give it back when he's Hayabi Deshaim? Absolutely. That's the Gemara Masecha Bava Metzian Dafzadi Aleph, which Tosafot quotes. I, I guess I guess it makes everybody feel a little yeah. bit better. I hear you. Okay, so J- Jared just wants me to make clear that as much as Rav told us that you need not return the Mona Lisa, nonetheless, say the Hachamim, and this is Rav's opinion as well, as Tosafot points out, between your relationship with God, although in terms of liability in this world, you don't need to give it back. In terms of halacha, you're supposed to, you must give it back. Absolutely. Okay, says the Gemara, now that we finish, yes, Jeffrey. If a person breaks into my house on Shabbat, 
decides to move the Al Shabbat, that would be a penalty. Yes. In the house. Yeah. It's not liable. No, of course it's liable. He's only going. He's he's only he's only a dead man with regards to liabilities of finances. With regards to anything else, we will say that was an effect that he put into motion. As a result, he's liable. Well, even if he doesn't, if he doesn't get warned, he's really not a dead man. You are right. You are right. The halakha, and we will see this on the fa'im bet amud bet, is that mahtarto zohi hatraato. The fact that you're in the person's home surreptitiously is enough for us to assume, based on your brazen activity, that you know exactly what you're doing and you're accepting it upon yourself. In and other in words, Shabbat, what's that? In the case of Shabbat, yes. it's not Lord's Right. So I got you. So Jesse basically says that, but I, I will point out to you, you're, you're making a claim against pretty much the first 71, the Pima of this Masechit, <laughs> that we're not really dealing with a relevant situation of actual death penalty because you're not actually, per se, getting a warning and accepting it and so forth. Agreed. All right, so we're going to have to make a lot of this in theory, which is, again, the irony of Masechet Sanhedrin, as I've pointed out more than once. The only way you're going to actually be liable to any of these death penalties is, aside from Mahteret, is if you got a warning. Aside from Mahteret, what else do we have? Mesitu Mediah, right? They don't need, per se, a regular warning and will ensnare them. You need Edim as well, of course. So in other words, in order to check all the boxes with regards to actually getting death penalty, it's going to be very rare. There's a Tosafot in one or two places that point out Generally speaking, the only people who are going to be actually put to death according to the Torah, based on our knowledge from the rabbis about how to do this, people who are so possessed by, and keep in mind, they can't be shoteh, they can't be senile, or, excuse me, they can't, they can't be out of their mind. And so who's going to be? It's someone who's, who's connected to this world while at the same time so passionate about the sin in a rebellious moment. Uh, it's going to be rare. Agreed. What I'm saying is it's not a claim here. It's a claim in general. Deranged. We'll talk about the son robbing the, the father's house. How only Yes. No, it goes as follows. We, we're going to read it in just a moment, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you. We're gonna read. We're gonna read it in a second. It goes as follows. I, I hope we're gonna read it in a second. It goes as follows. It's, it's literally the next gemara. The difference between a father and a son is the intruder is the one we care most about. Will the intruder pull a trigger on the house on the homeowner? The assumption is the father has mercy on his son. He won't pull the trigger. The son has less mercy upon his father. Assuming he's in the father's home, he will pull the trigger, and in turn, the father can pull the trigger on him. You know, that's that's the distinction. Okay, says the gemara Tanura Banan. Here it is. This is the bit. Now, the, the Pesukim, uh, I'm skipping this for the moment. If you read them carefully, the Pesukim don't exactly read like this. The Pasuk ends with the word, En lo damim, and then the next Pasuk says, But it's a derasha in the eyes of the Hachamim. We're going to be Doresh the Pasuk both ways. So here's the first part of the derasha. It says, En lo damim, which means the guy is, quote unquote, a dead man walking, if the sun is shining upon him. Again, we're being created. In, a, in our reading of the Pesukim, asks the uh, What sort of statement is that? The sun is shining upon him. Uh, the guy has the, uh, the, the, the sun, which is shining upon him as opposed to anyone else. What does the Torah effectively mean with these words if the sun is shining upon him? Ela, rather, we need to understand the words in the Pasuk somewhat allegorically. 
What do the words mean in Zarech If the matter is clear to you like the light of the sun. What's that? What's clear to you? She'en lo shalom imach. If you are certain, you don't have a doubt that he's planning on killing you, horgehu, then you kill him. Vim lav al tahargehu. If not, you may not kill him. Pause for a second. That means to say, according to this first approach, you're generally speaking, it appears, not going to be killing, unless you're certain the guy is coming to kill you. Right, that's, that's what emerged from this Beraita. Tanya Idah, we have a different Beraita which seems to go in the opposite direction. It reads the Pesukim in the forward fashion. Im alav damim lo. Now this is a circumstance where we say, you leave the guy alive, right? Damim lo, he's not a death threat. This Beraita asks the same question. Is the sun only shining upon him? What sort of statement is that in the Torah if the sun is shining upon him? Rather, if it's clear as day to you, that he's coming in peace, then you don't kill him. If you have even a doubt whether his intention is to kill you, whether he'll come to killing you, then you kill him. Says the Gemara, we have a blatant contradiction between these two that I taught. In a moment of doubt, you're uncertain whether the guy will kill you or not, do you kill him? According to the first Beraita, it appears the answer is no. According to the second Beraita, the answer is yes. Which one is it? Says the Gemara, we have a contradiction between one Setam Mishnah, one anonymous Mishnah Beraita, to the next anonymous Beraita. That's what we call Stama. Stama means there's no name mentioned. In other words, if one was Rabbi Meir and the other one was Rabbi so then we have no contradiction. So mahloket. Kashyastama astama means we have a contradiction between Beraitot. In a moment, in a circumstance of safik, hababa mahterit, in yesh safik, are you allowed to kill or not? Kashyastama astama answers the Gemara, and this is what we've been alluding to all along. That's indeed. Baruch Shikivanta la kashya, says the Gemara, there is no contradiction. Kan the distinction is between who's entering. If it's the father entering the son's home in such a circumstance, unless you're fully certain, son, that your father is ready to kill you. And that generally speaking, that won't be the case. You need to be fully certain you're not allowed to kill him. Alternatively, if it's the son to the father, or by extension, anyone else, as Rashi points out, you may not kill, you may kill them unless you're 100% certain they're not prepared to kill you. What's 100% certain you're not prepared to? They're holding the Nerf gun. All right, this guy's not actually a threat. He's ready to have a fun time. He wants to steal if he has an opportunity to do so. That's how we're dis- resolving this distinction. So again, effectively, we've defined the words yesh lo damim and en lo damim based on circumstance, based on the situation of who's entering and what the, so the context of their entering is. Says the Gemara, you need not believe that it's only the father to the son. There's the father to the son, dot, dot, dot. The father to the son, etc. What other types of cases can you come up with? Well, the Gemara will give an example. If there's best friends, there's best friends. It's my best friend in my home. I don't know. He got stuck on an addiction and he's so possessed that he needs the money. My brother, assuming that you have, I do, good relationship with your brothers. He needs the money. What's he doing in my house? What's he doing in the house? Of course he's prepared. He's not going to kill me. He needs money though. That's why he's here. He's so possessed, but he's not openly speaking, even when confronted, going to kill me. That we envision as Av al Says the Gemara, I'll give you an example. Amar Rav. Rav's statement here is Any person who would enter upon me, any person who would come into my home surreptitiously, in a sneaky fashion, in the underground, I would kill them. 
That's what we said. The majority of cases, we assume the intruder is ready to kill you. Hazakah, the Gemara began with that. Hazakah, we know every person's going to stand by their money and the robber in turn knows they're going to stand by their money and as a result it's going to turn into this conflict and the robber's prepared to kill. Lebar says Rav, says Rav, except for Merav Hanina Barshila. Rav Hanina Barshila, if I entered into my living room and he was there in the middle of the night or whatever time during the day, I would never kill him. Why are you not going to kill him? Says Gemara, my ta'ana, why not? Why is he any different than, uh, than the Joe Shmo? Maybe you'll tell me it's because Rav Hanina Bar Shila is a righteous person. That's why you can't kill him. That's why you wouldn't kill him. He's, he's in your living room in this made-up case. Rav, he's in your living room. He's stealing from you. Clearly, he's not acting like a righteous person. It stands to reason, then, that he's ready to kill you as well. Is he not? As a result, why wouldn't you kill him, Rav? Rather, explained Rav, I know about him, about this Rav Hanina Barshila. He has mercy upon me, like a father has on their son, which means to say, even if for some inconceivable reason, some unfathomable circumstance, he's in my living room, he's stealing from me, he's in my bedroom, he's taking out my wife's uh, jewels and pearls and wedding ring, I nonetheless know that when confronted, he wouldn't touch me. He'd be like the father to the son. That will be, I repeat, the minority of cases. The vast majority of situations, the halakha is being dictated by our Gemara, will render a situation of baba mahterit, where it poses a threat to you, and in turn, you may, for self-defense reasons, pull the trigger on them before it comes to any conflict in which they would upon you. Baruch Amen Amen.